Well, if you're someone who's been around the sport for a little while, you definitely remember the name and the career of this gentleman we have on the phone today. And the reason we have him on the phone today is because it's week number seven for the Direct Motocross Friday update brought to you by RP Race Performance. Uh, and we don't have a number seven in Canada right now for a career number or uh, anything like that. So we had to go back and you're, like I say, if you've been around the sport a while, you probably have already thought of who I'm talking about here and with. Uh, I've got him on the phone now. He just finished lunch from New York State. We got Bobby Canary on the phone. Bobby, thanks for talking to us. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, the time and effort here. Yeah, man, I know uh, since your retirement from racing and everything, we've spoken a few times, so I kind of have a bit of a gist of what you've been up to. Of course, I'll fill people in on all that, but uh, lots of new stuff going on, too, which, of course, we'll get to. But uh, for starters, man, another good thing, too, it's it's Valentine's Day, and it's a happy Valentine's Day for you. Yeah, yeah, happy Valentine's. Leave me my Valentine. <laughs> well, the good thing I'm saying is we both have our own. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, works out better. Because you have uh, a little, you know, this past year you were remarried, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, last year over the summer, I ended up uh, getting married again. Uh, girl I've been with for uh, quite a few years now. And uh, yeah, life turned around. Every, everything's uh, kind of switched gears, switched directions after racing, and uh, <laughs> including a marriage, believe it or not. So no, everything's going well for me over here. Um, yeah, again, new wife as of uh, July. And, Going the honeymoon phase, everything's great. So, oh, that's good. That's good, man. And uh, and your your kids are growing up. And I know the one girl; she looks a lot like dad, huh? Yeah, yeah. Both my daughters are getting old. Uh, my oldest one just turned eleven. My other one's nine, and um, they are uh, growing fast. I know everyone that has kids, you know, can attest to that. It, it's just crazy how fast time goes by with them, you know, and. Uh, one thing I realized here recently was, you know, they don't wear the little princess dresses anymore, the, the Anna and Elsa dresses from Frozen and things of that nature. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, you don't realize the last time they put one of those on, you know, it could be the last time and, and it does happen and you don't even know it was the last time and you kind of take some of that stuff for granted. You look back already and they look so big now and the pictures from when they were three and four, it's just, you know, like, where did the time go? So they're doing really well in school, and they look just like me. And, um, <laughs> oh, they both they're do? doing really well. They're, they're a lot smarter than me, but they're, <laughs> they're uh, just like me. They're, they're a lot of fun. So oh, that's it's a good great. time. That's great. What kind of uh, – I have this written down to ask you for later, but since we're talking about them, what, uh, what kind of things are they into? You say they're smart and doing well in school and stuff. Do they do any sports? No, my girls are very unathletic for whatever reason. Um, both their mother and I were very athletic growing up. We played all kinds of sports, and she did gymnastics, cheering, and all kinds of stuff. And obviously, I played every sport under the sun and then raced my whole life. So it's, it's funny to see my kids struggle to ride bicycles, you know, <laughs> compared to what I did growing up, and, and even their mother, for that matter. And then... Uh, but they are night and day smarter than I could have ever been in school. And they win all the school citizenship awards and top honors and they read and write and um, do a lot of crafts and art and things of that nature. So a lot different than me, but uh, in a good way, you know, I'm, I'm happy about that and they are who they are. And it's, uh, I, I embrace it. I really enjoy it. So. 
Oh, nice. You were known to do arts and crafts between motos, were you not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reloading tear-offs, I think, and cleaning helmets. That was arts and crafts for me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey, what, uh, I mean, I guess if they're not into sports, they're probably not taking a whole lot of risks like, uh, you know, like we remember our childhood. I was going to ask, what kind of dad are you? Are you a parachute dad or you just kind of let them be? But uh, I guess there's not a whole lot of risk involved. Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, put them around too much, to be honest with you. Um, I kind of let them go a little bit more than even their mother does and let them kind of learn the hard way with a few things. Hmm. But, uh, you know, they're still young. you got to keep an eye on them. But uh, they, they don't really play any extreme sports. But uh, now my um, stepson and my stepdaughter, they're, they're a little bit different. They're a little more adventurous. They do all kinds of sports and things of that nature. So I get a little bit of a fill of what I ended up missing with my children with my wife's children. And um, that's a lot of fun. I've I've uh, been able to step up and coach the youth wrestling program now um, here at the, the local school. So my uh, stepson, he went to states last year, and we're getting ready to go to states this year. We won the regional championship last year, and – um, we just had a tournament last night for that. We ended up placing third, the team did. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's been a fun thing. And then, uh, again, my stepdaughter, they play baseball, and football, gymnastics, all that stuff. So I get my fill of that with them. Oh, wow. Now, how old are they? Uh, the exact same age, believe it or not. So it's, uh, it's a fun dynamic here. They all are best friends. And every time I go to get my kids or – vice versa they ask are we going to your house can we play with uh you know samuel and sienna or my my girls you know can we play with everly and lakin and uh so it's it's a pretty funny thing they're all best friends and we're very thankful for that because it could have been the complete opposite you know you hear horror stories about <laughs> when people have you know stepchildren and they hate each other and uh again we, we lucked out big time with that so oh, that's man, that sounds like a pretty busy uh pretty busy household yeah, yeah, on the rep limiter. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, um, uh, we talked about a couple of things I had written down. I definitely want to talk about because uh, I know I spoke to you trying to set this up. You said we couldn't do it yesterday because you had your wrestling regionals. I kind of wanted to talk a bit about that. You you kind of mentioned it, so maybe I'll ask you. So you say you got third, and that that moves you on. Like, a t uh, is it your stepson who is a wrestler? Yeah, yeah. So um, my stepson uh, didn't wrestle prior to. Um, his mother meeting me and he was just a little guy at that point. So it really wasn't, uh, he wasn't quite old enough. And then as things progressed, you know, he played a lot of team sports and just through divorce and stuff, what that does to kids, uh, we kind of thought that he needed some self-confidence. She didn't really know how we could do that. I said, I, I have a fix for that. Let's put him in a independent sport. We can either have him ride dirt bikes <laughs> so I did throw that out there <laughs> or uh, we can have him wrestle or do something, you know, of that nature, swimming, things of that nature. And um, being that I had a wrestling background, she thought that was a good fit and he's very athletic. So we stepped him into wrestling and it was like natural right off the bat. So that was an easy progression for him. And he climbed the ladder pretty quickly as to, you know, figuring things out and doing good locally. And then we did regionals last year and then the States and all that fun stuff. So, um, he's, he's progressed quite well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun because when I get my wrestling, Phil, that's one sport I did miss. 
uh, in high school. My father was a, was a coach, so I always grew up wrestling. And even when I was at that age, I was racing Supercross and all that. But when I would go home, I would still wrestle with the high school team and and get my fill of that. So. You're Between not... that and now my current job, it's just kind of a natural fit for me. Uh, lined up, ended up coaching uh, the youth program here, so it's fun. It's okay. fun. Can it, you're not quite old enough. You're not uh, obviously nowhere near as old as I am, but uh, you're sounding like you're the uh, Emilio Estevez character in Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. We can run with that. With yeah. the dad who was the wrestling funny. coach, and <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Hey, you know what else is funny? You mentioned two sports, swimming and wrestling, and you, you'd you be hard-pressed to find two other sports that you cannot really turn pro in. Right? Yeah, I know. Isn't that, isn't that funny? But uh, it's it's a pretty big program here at the local school for us. We have a pretty big school um, for my stepkids, and they, they have a swimming program, they have lacrosse, they have football, basketball, soccer, baseball, wrestling – and every other sport you could think of. Um, so it's, it's a wide variety of sports for these kids to pick up um, at this particular school. Nice. All right. Well, we kind of spun out into uh, into your current life. I, uh, quicker than I meant to, I kind of was thinking that was going to come a little after your uh, we announced your retirement back in the day. So I kind of wanted to uh, talk about some of your racing stuff. And then uh, Absolutely. And there's still lots of other stuff to talk about because I have a few. I know there's some other cool stuff going on that I want to get a couple stories from you. But uh, so back, uh, you know, I just obviously doing a little uh, little digging around and stuff like that. So you you turned pro in the states in like '03. You raced like AMA stuff indoors and out from '03 to '13, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, I ended up uh, starting when I was 17 years old. Um, Man, it started at a young age, right, going to Loretta Lens and all that fun stuff. I got picked up from Team Green on a Kawasaki when I was, I mean, I had to be about 13, something like that, 12, 13 years old. And then um, Suzuki picked me up, I believe, the next year. And back then it was a lot different than how it is now, right? It was Team Green was like myself, Kyle Chisholm, and James Stewart, and that was it on minis and then you had you know andrew short and i forget who even was on the big bikes i remember andrew short but um you know so it was a pretty select group it wasn't as vast as it is now so that was a pretty big thing for me and then switching over to suzuki's it was myself davy Millsap, brock hepler you know on the minis and i think they had oh, like ben riddle and um Shoot, I'm forget Evan Lothridge, right? We know his name. Oh, yeah, sure. Canada. Uh, Evan Lothridge and, I don't know, one or, one or two other guys regardless. And it was pretty select program. So they brought me up through off of Mindy's in the amateur. I raced amateur one year on a big bike, and then they put me, threw me to the wolves and threw me in Supercross on that Motor World <laughs> Suzuki team. Hmm. And, um, yeah, you know, went right off the bat. I got hurt leading into the season and missed a bunch of time off the bike and, you know, made mains and all, but just struggled right off the bat um, compared to where I ended up in my career, you know, and what I expected to come in and do. So it was a tough go off the bat. By the end of the first year in 2003, I was getting top 10s in the U.S., um, you know, outdoors and and then, um, man, went overseas in the off-season race like Bercy and some stuff like that for the same team. Kept my ride for the next year. 
got through the year, ended up getting hurt at Washougal in the U.S. and uh, sat out the rest of the year and, you know, picked up the pieces and, and uh, had a better year the following year. I started to click after that. So it was good. Okay. Now, now you mentioned Kyle Chisholm there for a while. You guys, your, your career is kind of paralleled, I would say, a little bit, right? And then uh, can you... Definitely. I mean, touch on that a little bit, but can you believe he's still racing every week? I can, actually. You know, uh, people ask me that all the time because you look at the age gap there from the young kids to let's say my generation i'm 38 kyle's maybe a year or so younger than me (laughs) and him and i were on it seemed as if we were on the same team every other year our whole career i think i had a 14 year professional career and it seemed as if every other year him and i were on the same team and we liked it because we were good friends we're both from the east coast of the u.s and we grew up racing minis together and our parents got along and it it was always just an easy um, environment when we were around each other. But looking at it now, it's, it's interesting because I still follow, you know, motocross and supercross and Canadian moto and everything. And it's funny to see the older group still prevail over the younger groups. Uh, The new generation of let's say teenagers and young twenties now, because, to me, it just seems very obvious, and I don't mean to talk trash on anyone, but it, it just it is what it is. Um, the mindset, right? It's it's a different mindset now compared to let's say the era that I grew up in. Um, and it, I've heard this from a lot of team managers. And I don't want to throw any names out there, but a couple people have called me in the last year or two and kind of vented their frustrations on the generation that's coming through racing professional <laughs> racing right now and uh so then you can see where someone just puts their head down and doesn't make excuses and just kind of rides and puts their work in and gets results like kyle chisholm and he's still there making mains and by the end of the year he gets top 10 when people you know make excuses and my wrist hurts or whatever <laughs> and he just keeps going whether he's hurt or not and continues to succeed at a very hard sport so um i'm very happy for him and uh he's doing good and i i hope he keeps it going that's cool do you ever, do you ever talk to him these days have you talked to him recently yeah yeah we, we i took the kids down to disneyland or world whatever it is down there in florida uh about a year ago so he hooked us up with some uh some direction there and then i go to <laughs> southwick and unadilla every year so i get to run into those guys there and, um, you know, I talk with him here and there just, um, you know, through text or whatever. So, yep, still, still a good friend of mine and like to see him do well. Nice, man. Well, speaking of Florida, now i got to ask you, too, another retired guy. What about Matt Gerke? Do you talk to Matt? I haven't talked to Matt really since the last year I raced, believe it or not. No, I, I hope he's doing well. I haven't talked to him. I uh, just kind of lost contact with him over the years. Okay, okay. Do we still have you there? I'm still here. Oh, sorry. I thought I made a weird noise. I thought we lost you. Uh, okay. Okay. So, um, looking at your career, I was I kind of see that in 2008, uh, third, your best one at San Diego. You got a third. Do you specifically remember San Diego getting third behind Jason Lawrence and Tommy Hahn ahead of Brett Metcalf, Justin Brayton, Ryan Dungey, and Austin Stroop? Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty good year that year. It seemed. Uh... Even outdoors in the U.S., I had a, a lot of good moto finishes. I, I wouldn't always string 
both motos together for whatever reason. You know, I looking back, there's a hundred reasons that I could have probably <laughs> fixed. But you know, I had a lot of good motos and a couple good Supercross events there. I do remember that. And uh, if I back it up a couple of years, um, coming up to do the World Supercross in Toronto, I ended up getting second at that, and I think ryan lockhart was behind me at that too so that was like the first time i ever got a taste of a podium and it and i have to be up there in canada yeah. so uh it's funny to look back and go oh it all started right there you know i had good success right off the bat up there um at one of those world supercrosses and then um yeah moving forward into the supercross career i podiumed up in uh san diego and then uh, shoot, my best 450 finish, I believe, was the sixth place. And it just seemed like I was always around 10th, always, in the right. 450 class. You know, like that 10th to 15th, ish, 6th to 15th, like it would vary a lot as people, you know, in that group does. You know, if you're not in that lead group, one week you get a 6th, the next week you get a 15th. <laughs> and uh, it's still that way for whatever reason. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I had a... Pretty good go. I'm pretty proud of some of the trophies I have on the wall here. Nice, man. Okay, so that uh, that brings us to the, the question of, okay, you mentioned you just touched on coming up to Canada to do the World Supercross. How the heck did you end up coming up here full-time, and how did that all come together? And uh, did, was that the plan, or how did that come? How did that come up? Uh, it was um, pretty pretty effortless, really. What happened was uh, that year you had just mentioned I podiumed the Supercross in uh, San Diego the very next year. Uh, let's back it up. That year, I was training with Paul Carpenter, um, who won the Canadian National Championship. Uh, I believe once, if not twice, I was training with him at Billy Whitley's house in Texas, who was a team owner for the Monster Energy Kawasaki team at the time in Canada. And we were training at the track, and we spent the winter down there in Texas and, uh, again, had good success that year indoors and outdoors in the U.S. Uh, was looking to move to a 450 team the next year. Uh, conveniently, Billy Whitley was looking for a rider, and uh, it just kind of fell into place. You know, he had myself and my training partner, Paul Carpenter, uh, sign with him. We did the whole Supercross season uh, in the off-season from Canadian Moto. Got through that healthy and uh, had good success that year in Supercross as well for a first-year 450 guy. And started putting it together, enjoyed it, and then uh, moved up to the Canadian Motocross Series up there with you guys and really just stayed there the rest of my career because I liked it so much and I had such good success. And I don't know, it just seemed like home. You know, I, I'm just from right over the border in the U.S., so pretty much Canadian territory and it was just a natural fit you know I could drive to if I'm not mistaken more than half of the races in the Canadian series so it was uh it was an easy transition for me and I had good success again and and I just liked it 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 was more fun it wasn't as high stress though we were competing at the same level it just was more enjoyable for whatever reason um, some of that could have been attributed to just I was having success more so than I was in the U.S. And, uh, of course, it's more fun if you're getting trophies and podiums <laughs> every week and whole shots and things like that. So um, it, was, uh, it was a good career. The rest of my career I spent up there in Canada. 
Okay, now that's, uh, speaking of um, a good career kind of thing, when you're, I mean, there were some uh, other sponsors. I mean, the energy drinks were still going strong and everything. Now, can you talk about some of the money you made? Like, were you doing, uh, obviously, I, you know, I see that you, you know, you, you were smart with your money and everything like that. So you're obviously able to pocket some. Was it uh, pretty good back then? Yeah, um, I had a pretty good career. Looking back, I, now that I'm in the real world and I see how hard it is to make you know, a income for a real household with a family. And, you know, the amount of money you're making at a young age is just mind boggling. It's unfortunate that you don't know what that is and how hard that is to make that amount of money in those times. People tell you and you're, you're just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it'll, it'll always be there until it's not. Um, but luckily I was, I was relatively smart with it and built a house and, you know, tried not to spend it on, on, stupid toys, but enjoyed life. But, um, I worked hard for that, you know, and that was my reward, but, um, had, had made a good living. Yes. I lived comfortably and got to travel the world on someone else's dime. And that's, you know, when people ask, cause they see me now and I'm a little beat up, you know, with broken bones and my joints hurt and everything at, at a young age and people say, Oh, there's no way you would do that again. Huh? And I said, no, absolutely, I would do it again. Because if you were, you know, living in your your parents' house still at 17 or 18, man, I was flying to Europe on someone else's dime making money and racing my dirt bike. And uh, it went like that all through my 20s when you were in college struggling. And, um, you know, I, I was really living a great life, making good money, and I enjoyed it, you know, and more, more so than the money. I enjoyed doing what I got to do. I got to live out my childhood dream. So absolutely, I would do it again. Nice. Now, what uh, what was your best uh, overall up here? Like 2013th, you were second overall in the 450 class motocross, well, motocross up here, of course. Uh, like, what are your best memories? What are your best, you know, talk about some of that stuff. What, do you, what, what When you look Obviously, back at it. Uh, yeah, yeah, winning the King of Walton. Um, I oh, still hey. have that sword um, hanging up on the wall in the garage. I have a fitness garage now, and I have that thing... Uh, um, nice and high and proud and it's under a nice light and uh, looks sharp but yeah I, I like showing that off because people come over and say oh you want a sword? I said yeah I'm a king of Walton man <laughs> so, and luckily it's inscribed on there and everything but uh, that was a great memory obviously I know that's like the most prestigious race at least in my eyes in Canada to win that is is a big deal um being that it's it's the biggest amateur race of the year up there again in my eyes and just the end of the series the championship everything that comes with that um that's that's like the last hurrah for the year if you can win that that was uh, a big deal to me uh, being that I raced Walton when I was a little kid on 80s even, so I got to see Ryan Gall and everyone else, you know, um, go through there and race and get to cheer them on and then get to go and race and win that race myself. That was pretty special. Um, and then at the same time, I missed a championship. Uh, I remember just the heartbreak of it. We went to... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the weekend before Walton, we were in Deschambault or somewhere, somewhere up there in Quebec, if I'm not mistaken, and my bike had shut off uh, electrical, two motos in a row, and just DNF'd, and I had a 40-point lead over uh, Dusty Clatt and Cornell Nemeth. 
And so we went to Walton, you know, if I, if I just got through that weekend and didn't DNF, I was going to win the championship and it just wasn't in the card. I had uh, two DNFs and that put me, I don't remember the exact point system back then, but let's say 40 or 50 points, 50 points out of the lead. And uh, it was just, you know, I went the next weekend and won and did all I could do, but it just wasn't enough. I think I ended up second or third in the points that year. So that was like one of the worst memories from <laughs> yeah. racing the series. As great as the season was, and I've strung a, a bunch of good races together all season. It just wasn't in the cards for me to win a championship. And then uh, I was so close a couple other times, but just not close enough. Obviously, lots of seconds and third places. But it was it was a lot of fun. Um, so those are definitely a high and a low right there. Um, and and. I have one more good race memory. Yeah. I think the first year that they redid Calgary, they had someone come up and redo the whole track, and it was a completely new layout. And uh, a friend of mine, Brett Metcalf, came up to race with us in Canada that year, and I just remember going probably the fastest. Both and I, him and I had said the same thing. We went the fastest we felt like we had ever gone on any track, anywhere, U.S., Canada, <laughs> Europe, whatever, we laid it all out there, um, really in both motos, but one was the second moto, the one I'm thinking of, up there, and it was for first and second, and I was leading, and they said we legitimately every lap went at least one second faster than the prior lap for the whole 35 minutes. <laughs> it was one second faster every lap, every lap, every lap, dude. We just stayed right on each other's wheels. He got the best of me in that moto, if I'm not mistaken. But it was like within inches, and it was just a great race. I remember finding different lines and and, uh, jumping through stuff. And I I don't know, it was just one of those effortless motos, and it was a riot because him and I were good friends. And we just both pushed each other to that limit. And it was uh, it was a fun race for whatever reason that sticks out in my head. I, I loved that track every time we went there, and I don't know, it just clicked. I, I remember that place and that moto specifically. You know what's funny is I think I'm not, I don't think I'm making this up. I think this was that same race. Uh, of course, I was there, and I'm pretty sure on the podium you even said something about we were going like faster than ever. If we were going really fast, or so I remember you commenting. Yeah, it just seemed like things were, him and I both talked about it and we're saying, you know, like of all the good motos we've ever had wherever in the world we were racing, U.S., Canada, Europe, it it was, you know when you're going a different pace than you've ever gone. (laughs) And I can remember practice days um, and specific practice days where that same kind of thing happened. You know, because like that Toby Keith song, I'm as good once as I ever was. Well, there was that one day, at one point in your career, whether it was practice or a race, you went as fast as you have ever gone. And that was the best you were capable of riding ever at one point. And one of those days for me was in Calgary. And it didn't matter if we were in the U.S. or Canada. I feel strongly it would have been on the podium. Uh, wherever around the world we were racing that day, you know, it was it was a lot of fun and it was just clicking. That's amazing. So uh, being around other people in other um, 
series, whether it's the U.S. or Europe, you know, I know how I stacked up to those people when I felt the way I did on a normal day or whatever. And then I know how I felt when I had a good day, whether it was testing or whatever with lap time. And again, that day that I'm referencing with, with Brett was, was uh, a phenomenal day for me. That was a lot of fun. Nice. Cool, man. Well, uh, speaking of memories, um, I spoke to a couple people from your, from your past up here in Canada, and we all basically agreed on a couple things when we mentioned your name, just the things that we think about. So I, I talked to uh, Steve Sims, of course, obviously you long history with him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he says, the thing that stood out with him, and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember that. I've got the photos, was when you taped up your jaw and still raced Riverglade. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I just told this story recently to uh, a few buddies. They were asking, you know, because um, they Googled my name and that, a picture, I believe, that you had taken came up from that day. And I'm like, well, why was your face like gauze and taped together? I'm like, well, funny story, right? <laughs> so we were in uh, Moncton, and uh, I don't know. I've always been known to be a meathead, right? Like, no one could tell me better you know i i knew best and no one was gonna tell me i couldn't do something or whatever right like i just whether i had flat tires i remember racing um the opening round there nanaimo um, that's on my list to ask you about front <laughs> and rear flats and stuff you know like both you, tires you got third overall finishing podium Dude. Yeah, and then the same thing up a river. You didn't have your gear bag either. Dude. Like a few laps left. Dude, I got to. Like jumping. Hey, what about uh, that Nanaimo one? You just referenced it. We got to talk. That was in, was that 20, when was that? That was 2012 or something? No, no, 20. I have no idea what year. Yeah, 50, yeah anyway, you lost your gear bag and you got two flat yeah. tires and still got third. Yeah. Yeah, I had to like borrow knee braces from Teddy Bear or someone <laughs> and borrow gear just to even race the weekend. And um, yeah, I, I remember that. It was it was brutal. Uh, get in the front and a rear flat and just, well, no one's going to fix it for me. I'll ride <laughs> until the wheels blow apart and I'll get as many laps in as I can. And if I lap a few people you know, maybe I'll finish in front of them, you know, if I, if I lap them <laughs> multiple times or something, you know, I said, well, every point matters, whatever. I'm not going to stop uh, because there's no reason to stop. I'm perfectly capable of circling around the track at what I felt like was a safe pace with front and rear flat tires somehow. <laughs> and <laughs> I, like you said, I believe I even got a podium out of it. So, I think you did. Uh, yeah, a little crazy, right? Uh, yeah, because Kyle Carruthers interviewed you right after it. I was actually just looking on our uh, our old YouTube channel there and stuff, and he's talking to you about that, about losing the gear bag and two flat tires and getting third overall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, like I said, uh, that's kind of like that meathead mentality, right? Like, if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. I, and I'm no, one, no one can fix it for you. You know, when you're out there, it's all on you. Whether you <laughs> fail or succeed, it's... It's all on you, you know, and people can blame the bike and whatever. And at that level, yep, it does make a difference. I'm not, I'm not disputing that, but um, at some point, that's where, you know, we talk back to this younger generation now. Well, can you really think of anyone off the top of your head that would finish like that? <laughs> and back in my day, 
people would. You know, you think of Ryan Hughes even, people like that. They just they ride around with mangled bikes. I've, I've seen recently someone do that, that Deegan kid did that with handlebars and at least finished the race. So, you know, that's respectable, right? But most mm-hmm. kids don't do that anymore. And, again, if that's your job, that's what they're paying you to do, you're only out there for 30 minutes at a clip, you know, 35 minutes potentially. So you mean to tell me for if I had a flat tire for 15 minutes of my life, you can't just suck it up and figure it out and just deal <laughs> yeah, with something that's not comfortable? You know, that was always my mentality with that. And then – uh Moving back to Moncton, where I hurt myself, yeah, sorry, yeah, I, I ended up uh, breaking. I dislocated my jaw, split my chin wide open. I needed stitches. <laughs> I still have a scar on my face from that. Dislocated my jaw, broke some ribs, and broke my foot, and knocked myself stupid. And uh, I remember going back to the truck and just like couldn't even talk because I hit my head and my jaw hurt and everything on me hurt. I couldn't breathe. And I'm like drooling. They had to take my helmet off and I'm drooling, just bent over and I can't really spit because my mouth hurts so much. And um, Stu, Adam was like, dude, you're not, you're not riding the next moto. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, I'm riding the next moto. Like, you can't, like, there's no way you can ride the next moto. I'm like, no, it wasn't a question. I'm telling you I'm riding the next moto. I'm not, I'm not asking you. Him and I were good friends, so we can look back and laugh at it now, but we got in a little pissing match there back and forth about whether I was going to ride the next moto or not. I'm like, dude, I'm all the way up here. It doesn't matter, like, if I run around here in 20th place or sit at the truck, like, you at least (laughs) have another bike out there, and I want to ride. It doesn't, you know, it's 30 minutes of my life. I can suck that up and just deal with whatever pain and uncomfortableness because I'm, I'm going to be uncomfortable sitting here regardless. So let me go out there and try and make some more money and points and just salvage the day. And he's like, dude, there's something wrong with you. He, I went to the starting line and him and I were not on speaking terms at that point. Though we're good friends and we can laugh about it now. In that moment, he hated me because <laughs> so, I'm like too stubborn and he, he couldn't tell me no at that point, you know. Um, and luckily we had such a good relationship that it, it didn't turn into anything, but he wasn't happy. Um, so that was, that was funny. I don't remember what place I got, but I went out and I, I raced at least, you know, and again, I, I don't know what place I got, but yeah, it's, it's funny. And then to lead on that, I have an even funnier story on that. And Sean Moffenbeier is listening to this. He will probably piss his pants he'll be crying so hard so we go home from that race at Moncton right and Stu and everyone on the team they assume at this point I'm done because we're towards the end of the year I got hurt and whatever and I said no I'll I'll race next weekend so Sean Lawsonbyer and I he was staying with me at my house I had a track at my house and we trained right so I go on like Tuesday or whatever day during the week I said, okay, let's go ride. And Sean was like, don't, don't ride. You're an idiot. You know, I thought, I'm going to ride, dude. Shut up. I'm, I'm going to ride and we're going to do motos, whatever. Well, because my foot hurt and my ribs hurt and my jaw hurt and everything hurt, 
uh, because it was broken, we decided to go around this one really big jump that I had on the track because it was a hard landing. You know, it was just massive and it was stupid, you know, to just jump that all day while I was hurt. So we were going around the first takeoff and just kind of scrubbing the landing and continuing on the track, right? (laughs) So it dropped down a hill and at the bottom of the hill there was kind of a creek after the land, what was the landing. So I get the bright idea because Sean's going faster than me during a moto and I, I couldn't, I couldn't accept that. So I go, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump across this Creek that I've never jumped across in my life. And I've had this jump on my track for like four years. And I'll, if I just don't let off and hit this thing in like third or fourth gear on a 450 wide open, I'll jump all the way across the, the ditch and land on the other side with a broken foot and broken ribs and broken jaw and stitches in my face. <laughs> I come, <laughs> I come around and never let off, right? And decide in the middle of the week, a couple days later after Moncton, that I'm going to jump across this. I jump across, come up short, oh. land like back tire on the edge of the uh, ditch or creek or whatever that we were jumping over just ejects myself into the weeds and like tumble up the next hill because you're going about 100 miles an hour, you know? <laughs> and crash into the weeds. And I remember laying there just half dead. He's going, oh! And Sean, Sean sees me in the weeds. He comes over and I can't breathe. I can't crawl. I can't walk. I can't do anything. My bike's in a pretzel over the weeds. And, uh, Sean's like, what is wrong with you? What'd you do? I'm like, oh, I just, you're going faster, man. I tried to jump across the the hill here. And he's like, you what? Yeah, I know. I I tried jumping all the way across here. And I I obviously, I didn't make it. He's like, me and him just start crying and laughing because I can't breathe and I'm just mangled. And he's like, what is wrong with you, dude? Like, you shouldn't even be riding. You decide now of all times to jump across this hill. Uh, we were crying. I, I mean, I have a great memory of that. I assume you remember that because that was pretty stupid. That's but, amazing. Uh, yeah, that was days later after Moncton. That was that was a good one. That was pretty smart. That's amazing. Sean's like, I, yeah, nobody's trying that on a good day, and you just tried to throw that out there. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, I would have never tried that even on a normal day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay, so. Clearly, my brain. My brain was still a little swollen at that point, clearly. Yeah. Okay, so of the people I spoke to, we all agreed Riverglade was one. Uh, I talked to Andre Lauren, and of course he said that's, uh, that's the one that really stood out for him. <laughs> yeah. The broken jaw one. And then I, I thought, okay, well, you know what else I spoke to? I spoke to, uh, I spoke to Mark Stallybrass, because I thought, you know what? Nobody's, oh yeah, nobody's yeah. talking to him anymore. He's kind of disappeared. I go, I, let's try to drag him back in. He, you know, he didn't seem like he wanted to, you know, go on record or saying too much and memories or whatever. He said uh, he didn't think anybody would care what he had to think. And I said, you know what? There's where you're wrong. People would care. So absolutely. Anyway, what he said was, here's what he said, and here's his quote: "You were uh, one of my favorite riders as a person." So there, you can uh, you can take that. Nice. Yeah. So he thought that's that, good. Yeah, that's what he said. So that was nice of him to say that. And, uh, and like I said, yeah. I think people would like to hear from him. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that, I'm sure you have a lot of good stories and uh, tales over the years uh, running the series up there. I'd, I'd love to hear a 
podcast with him if we can get him on the line one day. Yeah, I know. I don't know how uh, keen he'd be to do that, but uh, I'll certainly keep trying him. But okay, and then the other one, of course, you'll probably remember, the, and the one that I would have to say is the one because I think I got the photo of this one too, and I couldn't believe after it happened. I'm like, hey, Bobby, I, you know, I'm sorry to take a picture of it. You put on the biggest smile, and I'm talking about Santa Lee when you moved that massive hay bale <laughs> and smashed yeah. your collarbone. Yeah, that hurt. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, there was a big sweeper kind of right by the pits. Yeah. And uh, I was trying for a fast lap time or whatever in practice. And uh, there was one main berm, I'm sure it's still there, that runs around the outside. Yeah. And someone blew it out right before I got there, you know what I mean, as I'm coming around for a hot lap in practice. And. I was coming around there and whatever you're in, probably third year, just never let off. So I'm moving at a pretty good clip there and you're relying on that berm being there. And at that point, someone had kicked it out, you know, again, right in front of me before I got there. And I didn't see it because you're coming around there so blind and so fast. And uh, my front tucked over the hole in the berm, right? And it pushed through the berm and it just drifted out into the big round hay bale that they have and those things. We Googled it, if I'm not mistaken, they're like 1,600 pounds or something <laughs> insane. And uh, I hit the thing wide open, uh, leaning sideways, and that didn't move. I mean, it moved. I knocked it into the track a couple <laughs> feet, probably 10 feet or something into the track. But uh, my collarbone took took a pretty good hit there, and uh, I still have a plate in my collarbone from that. So when the bike hit, it kind of stopped and launched me. Obviously, the momentum of me, it just ripped me forward over the bars, and I went shoulder first into the ground and um, broke my collarbone, pretty much shattered my collarbone, and ended up having to get a plate and screws that are still in there in my collarbone. So, uh, yeah, that was a good one. I remember that. That, that hurt. I remember that knocked the wind out of me and the collarbones. Those always are, those are never fun. But I remember, Um, yeah, that was was also a good one. I remember going over to the pits and saying, Bobby, I got to take a photo of this. And I'm like expecting you to have this grumpy face and not even look at me. You put on the big smile like you always did, just kind of went, yeah, okay, this is for this is for Again, they're paying me to be there. So, you know, like, what what the heck? I got paid to go ride my dirt bike and, and whatever. It sucks I got hurt, but I mean, that point you know i had a good enough year i know i'm gonna have a ride again next year and it it is what it is you know so okay man well that's part of the sport let's let's fast forward now unfortunately in 2015 at sarnia uh, i remember the joke too is i know you're quoted as saying when everybody's okay what's what's your pain level zero to ten your answer was always zero no matter what was going on and this one yeah I remember this one here now, and you you famously said, I think you were at a three or something, but still, it was the most pain. I think you said it was the most scared, you scared yourself for the first time when you crashed at that uh, that horrible crash you had at, in Sarnia. Yeah, that was uh, really the, the one that did it for me. Um, at that point, I won the weekend before. Um, it was the first year, if, if I'm not mistaken, it was the first year we were doing the arena cross stuff post season from outdoors in Canada and um, everyone came up and we did the first round in I, I think in London right in London Ontario something like that and I won all the way through the night one heat race won the main events 
and uh, in both classes. And I rode a 250 even on the 450 class and won, won all the heats and main events. So, like, was riding good again. Like, pulled my head out of my butt. <laughs> and we went to Sarnia, right? Yeah. And same thing. Like, felt like I was riding okay. Um, won the weekend before, get through the heat. And then the main event, yeah, I was doing a rhythm section, if I'm not mistaken, that no one else was doing, and it was a 3-3. I can still picture it. Uh, but you had to seat bounce the second one to get up and over, right? And for whatever reason, it was just not my timing, right? It, it, was, it just seemed I did nothing different than I did any other lap. I still swear to this day that that was the case. Because I didn't land weird, I didn't hit neutral, I didn't seat bounce harder or less than I did any other lap. Everything was going exactly the way it was supposed to, and we were we were battling for position um, for the podium. And again, I seat bounced this thing and just ejected myself, and my legs got tangled in the handlebars, and I. Came up short, right, endowed into the third jump, over the bars, got tangled in the bike. Ended up being a career-ending injury because I broke my femur, separated my femur from my hip. So my femur came out of my hip, out around, was in my back, mm. tore my ACL that I just had repaired like a year or two prior. Then cut my knee open real bad, which I didn't even know about my knee because the pain was so bad in my hip. Um, but cut myself real bad. They had to stitch that up. Broke a couple ribs. Uh, bent the plate in my collarbone. Broke my collarbone. Hit my head real bad. What else did I do? <laughs> broke something else. I, I don't even remember. I got ribs. I don't remember. I broke something else. I, and I remember, remember for people listening to this, I'll, I'll see if I can find a photo here to go with it too. But uh, it was like a fair race. Like it was, in, it was inside of a horse racing track. So it wasn't like in a dome, like in a, in an arena. It was outside and it was, it was, uh, it was, it was cement. Like it was hard where you crashed. It wasn't like a tilled up supercross track. Yeah, that hurt. Um, <laughs> but I remember laying there. And for the first time in my life, out of every crash I've ever had, there's been some dirty ones, especially riding Supercross, right? I've had some really dumb crashes. And I remember laying there, scared for the first time in my life. And I always told myself, when I finally scared myself, you know, from crashing or whatever, I'll, I'll be done racing. You know, at that level, in my head, you, you know, up to that point, I always thought that same thing. I go, if you get to that point where you're scared, where you have that thought in the back of your head, you aren't going to be able to compete at that level anymore. So I remember laying there before I could feel anything, before the flagger probably even had the flag up. I scared myself because I thought I paralyzed myself. Oh, wow. Like 100% sure I paralyzed myself. I'm like scared to move because I didn't want to find out that I couldn't move. So I'm laying there and I go, oh, all right, I think I paralyzed myself. Let me see if I can move my leg and as soon as I went to move my leg I felt the pain of my hip oh, being wow. out of place and I go okay alright that's good <laughs> I can feel it I mean that sucks but it's good I can feel it so I can feel that leg and I tried to move the other leg I can move my other leg and then everything set in 
you know, the rest of the way. And it was like just the most excruciating pain I've ever been in. Um, they had to bring me over to the hospital. And because I was a U.S. citizen, they didn't want to operate on me. And there was no doctor on staff at the hospital. And it was just a nightmare. Mm. Um, they kept me, they tried to sedate me, but because it hurt so bad, I couldn't go to sleep for whatever reason. I, I don't know what sedative they were trying to give me, but it hurt so bad that I couldn't go to sleep, which, which is crazy. And um, we spent the night in the hospital. A doctor came in in the morning, uh, 13, 13 or 14 hours later, mm. put my hip back into place, didn't do any surgery on anything else. He just popped it back into place. So I still had a broken hip and a broken femur, and he just moved them <laughs> to where it was back in the socket. Oh. Got in the vehicle. My wife was with me with our newborn, and that was kind of the other thing when I was laying there. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, it's it's. I had a tough year going that year, and it was like banging my head against the wall. And I was I remember laying on the ground going, I think I paralyzed myself. I'm out of the country with my wife and newborn. Now she's going to have to try and figure out how to get me back into the country and with our kid. And it, it just didn't sit well with me as far as the family aspect as well, you know. So long story short, we get back to the U.S. And they start telling me all the stuff that's wrong with me. I, I go to the hospital immediately. They start telling me, oh, you broke your hip, you broke the femur, you broke your ribs, tore your ACL, you got cuts all over you, um, you knocked yourself stupid. And again, I'm forget. oh, you broke your collarbone, you bent the plate in your collarbone, and something else, right? And I'm like, why, how long was this out of place? I said about 13 or 14 hours. And they said, uh, these things are not supposed to be out of place for more than 45 minutes. Oh, man. Ever. And otherwise the bone dies and you'll have to have a replaced femur. And I'm like, well, whatever. So I put it back in and <laughs> did all the surgery and bolts and screws in my hip. I got uh, two plates and six screws in my hip as well. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of it, man. At that point I knew I was done racing and, uh, just time to move on from there and puts us up to new, you know, to the current times. So I just kind of called it, called it a day at that point. I had a good career, good run. Um, like you said, lots of podiums up there, wins up there, lots of podiums in the, or a few podiums in the U.S. and um, lots of top tens. You know, that's that's uh, something to be proud of in my eyes. Looking back at the career and rode for a lot of good teams, traveled the world, and got to see everything and live live a really cool life for a little while, man. Why I was young, so All right. time to walk away and, and start real life yeah and you did you were kind of quoted um, uh, I know Racer X did an interview with you right after that happened and you you're, you said your plan was to maybe do one more year was all you were going to do anyway yeah yep at right. that point um, I was wanting to ride one more year up there in Canada you know race Supercross in the US one more year up in Canada and uh, those German series in the off season that was my intention and uh, that made a pretty easy decision for me to pick up and move on at that point <laughs> And the only thing, looking back, which is, you know, the way moto goes for most everyone, really, if you look at all the most guys' careers that, that had success is, you know, they walk away. No one really gets to walk away. A lot of guys 
have a career-ending injury, and then they walk away. Like, look at Trey Kennard or Ryan Marias. So, really, a lot, a lot of people, You can the list goes on, right? And uh, they didn't know that was going to be their last race. And it was decided for them, you know? Right. So, I'm okay with it, but I just wish I got to know my last race one more time, you know what I mean, and, and go enjoy the day as opposed to just right. banging your head against the wall. Uh, you know, I wish I was there to enjoy the day. Like Sean Lothmar got to do this year. I was more, like so happy that he got to do that for himself right. um, and not have it go the other way like it did for me. So Yeah, I guess that's the dream yep. of a career ending for sure. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, okay. So also in that same interview, so at that time, I think you were doing a, after, you know, you healed and all that kind of stuff. You're, go, you're in heavy bridge construction. And then I know... The interesting part I want to talk about is when you were uh, you were in a, a prison guard and stuff like that. I mean that. I mean, just what was the order after you kind of got back from healing for job wise? Yeah, yeah. So I started working just locally. Um, my father in law at the time had just kind of. I, I really couldn't walk or stand or do anything <laughs> for a long time. For like three months, I couldn't really get out of bed. Um, then once I could. You know, I'm like, all right, I got to start getting in the job force. So, uh, I mean, I'll throw this out there. Like, honestly, I got picked up at such, such a young age from Suzuki and stuff. I didn't even have a diploma from high school. Right. Um, so that was first uh, feat I had to to get a diploma, not a GED, but a proper diploma. Okay. Uh, so there was a program through one of the high schools. I went while I couldn't really walk. Um did that, got my diploma, um, progressing from there, just started working local places that my father-in-law knew, oh, this guy needs help, you know, over here or over there until I could walk again. So just kind of tried getting in the workforce and, I don't know, seeing what real life was like, uh, doing nine to five. And then um, pretty quickly, one of my friends was a prison guard for the state. All right, so there's like county, which is, you know, if you get arrested before you get prosecuted, you go to county jail, and then there's state prison, which is your sentence is two and a half years or to life, right? Um, and those are those are pretty bad places to be, obviously. They're not just drunks off the street, you know? Right. So um, I had a buddy in, in the U.S. here in New York. It's a really good job. Uh, reason being is they pay real well. The health benefits are really good, and the retirement's really good. And you just got to suck it up, and you got to spend some of your life in prison. <laughs> and that's all there is to it, right? And you're a guard. You're on the proper side of the fence, you know, on, on the proper side of the gates. But, you know, you're in there with the worst people in society. That's why they remove them from society is they put them in a place where they can't be amongst normal humans. They can be amongst the other animals oh, like Jesus. themselves, right? So they put them there and remove them and you subject yourself to going there every day and have to deal with that evil in the world. And uh, that got old, right? So there's different avenues within the state. Once you get into being an officer, um, you can progress in your career if you are willing to work which I was, okay. you know, from racing. So I got on a local, on the SWAT team there at the prison, right? And we started, I started going through some of the trainings and stuff there. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Then we got called out a couple times to go chase down convicts at escape or whatever, right? And do some other things. And I did really well at it. So my sergeant and lieutenant 
were like, dude, there's something wrong with you, you know, on our fitness test and stuff. They're like, there's something wrong with you, man. Like, you shouldn't be here. You, you need to go do something else. Um, there's this hostage rescue team. If you're interested, like, it's really hard to get on. When you get there, you have to go through every school under the sun um, to be an instructor and everything under the sun, you know. But if you're willing to work, you need to fill out all this paperwork and we're willing to sign the paperwork and sponsor you, so to speak, to get there because they need to sign off and the depot security and all these people need to sign off on you even trying for this team. Hmm. And they do background checks and all this crazy stuff. So I said, yeah, you know what? I'll give it a shot. So they uh, put me through the trial process and um, my papers got submitted and they got accepted and I was accepted to try, you know, do the tryout day and the interview and all this fun stuff. So I went there and crushed my physical fitness test, obviously, like I never really stopped training. So I, I always stayed in good shape. I felt as if after racing, I was in better shape because I had nothing else to do <laughs> right. to entertain my mind, you know. So I stayed in good shape. I passed the PT test and then uh, crushed my interview and everything else that went along with it. About a month goes by and I'm still in prison at this point working. And uh, they called the prison and said, oh, the colonel of the state wants to talk to you. You need to come up front and talk to him. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, it's, it's happening. Like I'm, I'm probably going to make it. If he's calling the prison looking for me, um, that's, that's a good thing. So my shot, and uh, it was the happiest phone call I've ever got in my life. You know, they said, oh, can you report here on whatever date it was? And I said, absolutely, yes, sir. And um, reported there. And man, I've been on, the, been on that team ever since. They put me through the ringer. So when you get there, you have to get on the team, right? And they evaluate you and they put you through the ringer, test of morals, you know, physical conditioning and, and just, you know, your intelligence in general and what kind of person you are to even stay on this team because there's only 15 of us. You know, it's a, the state's only exclusive special operations uh, unit. And uh, worst case scenario, they call us and we go and deal with it. Um, but to be on there again, they put you through these schools and what they are is instructor development schools. So you go to school to be an instructor and everything under the sun. So I had to go through firearms instructor school, uh, chemical agents instructor school, defensive tactics instructor school, um, PT, uh, physical training instructor school, general on topics instructor school, <laughs> first aid tech med instructor school, DTS instructor school, and like all these other schools like uh, uh, SWAT school, you got to go through SWAT school, and then uh, rifle patrolman school, you have to go through all these schools, it's, it's insane. Wow. And uh, they are college credited courses, so they're, they're Department of Criminal Justice courses. And uh, they're the hardest thing I've ever thought I would ever have to do in my life. It was by far the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, So I really learned a lot about myself going through there. And that's why I liked it and wanted to get on the team because I was not challenged in a normal environment. And to be on this team, you have to be someone that wants to be challenged every day. And what do motocross guys want to do every day? They want to be challenged, right? Because they want to be better and they want to train harder. And they want to get faster 
and they evaluate every little nuance of their bike and themselves and how to get better and faster. Well, we do the same thing. And uh, so it's been a natural fit. I've been here for two and a half years. Okay. Yeah, about almost three years now on, on this team, and I couldn't be happier. It's, it's the next best thing to racing, right? You're, you're on a SWAT team, and that's all you do is SWAT stuff, and you train. You're paid to work out every day. You're paying to go train every day. Um, as far as operations and then because I'm an instructor when I get bored I go teach and we go out and okay. teach SWAT schools and we teach other um, agencies of how to deal with these uh, shitty situations excuse me which these crappy situations and um, you know what to do to keep yourself safe and everyone else safe and how to assault buildings and all this stuff so um, again our primary function is hostage rescue but we're capable of everything. Oh, wow. um, repelling, all that fun stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a fun deal. It's a fun deal. Would you ever get called to leave the country, or is this all local stuff? So because we're um, sanctioned as peace officers instead of police officers, um, the way our country works is that um, U.S. Marshals and FBI and all that, they are also peace officers okay. so they aren't sanctioned to like a designated zone or area like a police officer or a trooper a highway patrolman or something they have to stay within their jurisdiction a peace officer has jurisdiction both in the country and out of the country okay. with proper authorization so like air marshal a couple guys on my team have air marshal status so they can fly out of the state or country and go get people um and bring them back. I, I have yet to go to the fire, or excuse me, the air marshal school, but uh, that'll be the next one on the list, right? So um, slowly but surely, you're clicking these schools off, and it's, it's a riot. And uh, it's funny just what racing teaches you with work ethic, right? So I did not want to fail, so I had the top scores at everything in every school, you know, on the final exams and everything. Um, I put in such hard work. I had the highest scores and everything, and it stood out. And now, like the very next set of schools after I passed them, they ended up having me teach, and now I've taken over uh, the chemical agent school, and that's, that's my school to run the instructor development school. So uh, it's it's uh, been a good run for me now, and I found a, found a happy place after racing, and uh, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Wow. So what do you put in? 30 years, 25 years? What you, what's for retirement? Yep. It's uh, 25. Yep. 25 years. And I think I got seven years in now. Seven years in. Nice, man. Well, that's, that's still great. Ways. Well, I tell you, it's great to hear. I remember, uh, I remember when I first talked to you after you were doing the prison thing, I remember you said the guys, some of the guys in there respected you because they knew you from your motocross career. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty hairy uh, coming across convicts that uh knew who you were just by you sitting there and uh <laughs> you know you used to race dirt bikes uh and i of course would say no <laughs> and they're going no you race dirt bikes i i know who you are you shut up dude go sit in the corner don't don't tell anyone you know <laughs> so um then it's funny we had to go get a we had to go get a guy i don't know a year ago or whatever and uh in in his cell there was uh he had one of my posters in his cell oh, and i noticed it and i tried not to point it out to anyone but the other guy on my team that was in this guy's cell with me looked up and saw it he's like dude 
that's you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's me. Oh, I haven't wow. let that down ever since. That's that's uh, it can be funny material if if you think about uh, what what uh, guys would razz each other about, right? So that's either way, that uh, that was pretty funny. Wow. And uh, they haven't let that one down yet. So. <laughs> that's funny. Hey, you know what I forgot to mention too is back in. Uh, I remember you mentioning. Or somebody mentioning back when you were getting your hip fixed, the doctor finally, when the guy finally saw you and saw the X-rays, he said, uh, "He said I have never seen anything this bad." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that a couple times. Uh, with one of my knee surgeries, I've had them say they've never uh, seen anything that bad, and then same with my hip, they've never seen anything that bad. Jeez. Um, they're like, you know, I, you're you have fifty year old. 50 plus year old arthritis and I was still, you know, 30 at the time. I was, you know, 30, even with my knee, I was still in my twenties at that point, late twenties. And they're like, you have worse arthritis than, you know, someone at the end of their fifties. And, um, they're like, you're in for a long haul. I said, ah, it'll be all right. By the time you guys got to fix it, it'll, you'll have some kind of synthetic prosthetic knee or something. And uh, I'll be all right. So um, I'm just dealing with it now. It's all uh, part of the fun. And uh, I don't know. It makes you feel alive, right? You don't want the pain to dust you. You just show who's boss every day. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, not, not many of us get out of our sport without limping. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> okay, man. Well, I, hey, man. I know we're uh, we've been talking for a long time here. I don't want to keep you here. I know you have to get to your. Uh, what do you got today? Are you more wrestling? You're picking up kids. What are you doing? Uh, I got a kid's haircut here in a few minutes, and then uh, I forget what day it is. But more likely, we have wrestling tonight. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Let me let me give you a couple uh, questions. Kind of short answer questions here Absolutely. to finish this up. Um, who do you not miss racing against? Vince Freeze. Oh yeah, you have a you had a history. Oh yeah, uh, I was the first one. So me and Jason Thomas and Michael Byrne were in a battle in a heat race in in um, Seattle, and we were all in, and so was Vince Freeze, but he was behind me, and we're in probably like sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. And Vince Freeze decided to like legitimately head on me coming out of a corner for no reason because we were all in and it was like a lap left in the heat race and i had ridden for the butler brothers team uh maybe the year prior and they the guys on the team that i was racing it was michael byrne and jason thomas were still on their team right and they had it on film, so they presented it for me. Like, I didn't even want to do anything, but they were so fed up with him taking their guys out that they presented him, and that was, like, the first ban of uh, Vince Freeze mm. um, that ever happened. I for, That was maybe in 2009, something like that. Oh. Um, 2010, somewhere in there, regardless. Uh, that was the first time he ever got kicked out, and that, that was ridiculous. I remember he had on me so hard, it just ripped my bike out from underneath me, and I was standing there on my feet and my bike just ripped out right from underneath me. I'm like, what, what just happened? So anyway, I don't miss racing with that guy. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. What, what was your favorite Canadian track? Um, I liked the, um, Calgary track there. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, I, guess so. I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but the one in Calgary, yeah, Wild that, Rose. Was, that was consistently that in Moncton. I like Moncton a lot. Okay. What was the, was there was a little more high speed than, uh, some of the other ones, you know, I typically did better on fast 
tracks right. with bigger open corners. I didn't I didn't like the tight inside rut corners. That I didn't really set my bike up to do those uh, as well. I always like riding around the outsides of stuff um, and carrying some momentum. So when we had to go to, uh, let's say, Deschambeau and stuff like that, it's not that it wasn't a good track. I just didn't like it because I struggled with bike setup and just the way I wanted to ride a track. I couldn't ride the track that way. Um, so that was, it would be frustrating by the end of the day after riding the track for whatever we do, let's say two hours. And the day I, I had had enough of those tight inside <laughs> tight tracks. <laughs> okay, what was the worst track up here? Worst track up there, I really didn't like Nanaimo. I, I did not like that place, uh, really because of exactly what I just said. Like, it was all tight inside, mostly. Right. And there was outsides, but they were like a mile from the inside. So if you went out there, it was slower. Um, I didn't like that track. And uh, what's the other track I didn't like? There was one other one that was on par. I'm just drawing a blank at the moment. But, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that track okay. for whatever reason. It, now, I know I had a good crowd. Like, the people were great out there, and I, I remember seeing Darcy Lang and things like that, and that was a, it was a fun place to be, and it was pretty. But, uh, yeah, the track, I just struggled with the track, and I'd get through it and get podiums and stuff, but I just, I don't know, I didn't like that place. Yeah, I think you're, I think a lot of people will say the same thing, unless you're actually from that area, then those people did well there and stuff. But, okay, who, did you ever have a beef up here? Did you ever have a beef with anyone? Um... Uh, no, not really. No, I think I got along with everyone. Um, I'm trying to think of anyone I had an issue with. I remember one time me and Tyler Medag or um, Jeremy Medaglia, not Tyler, me and Jeremy got into it, and it was at Nanaimo, and I don't remember who was at fault, but me and him had a little pissing match, not verbally, but like just on the track, just smashing each other, and we kind of talked about it like men like no, no one fought nothing crazy but like dude like what, what was that about kind of thing <laughs> right and we talked it out like men and the rest of the year we were good <laughs> and other than that i mean i don't remember really having an issue with anyone uh to be honest with you well that's good to hear who, who um yeah. who from up here do you still talk to if anyone um i still talk to adam robinson so Stu. i still talk to him um I, like Colton Fasciati and Dusty and I, we all kind of follow each other oh, nice. on social media. Really kind of everyone that I race with that whole era, we all follow each other on social media. If, if we see something funny or that makes us think of each other, we'll send something to each other every once in a while. Um, but uh, as far as phone contact, yeah, I really talked to anyone in a while. Um, I talked to Sean Moffenmeyer more than anyone. Um, I talked to him somewhat consistently. Okay. Um, I consider him to be a really good friend. So, yeah, it was fun. Fun fun go. And, and like I said, uh, good friends out of it. But, um, you know, life happens. We all kind of go our separate ways. But we, we keep in slight contact just through social media. All right. Okay, here's a question for you. How the heck can RK be your logo when it should be BK? Who know, People know you as Robert now? Come on. Right, yeah. So what happened there, I get that a lot. All of a sudden. So um, when I got into the state, let's say seven years ago, everything had to be in your birth name, you know, your given <laughs> name. And nothing could be different. It wasn't like what you go by. Everything had to be by your, you know, 
real name. So my real given name on my birth certificate is Robert Canary. And uh, that's what I had to go by. And everyone <laughs> I met really in that span there was new to me. So it, everyone started calling me Rob and started calling me Robert. Oh. And um, being that I had to sign everything in my life at that point as Robert, um, it, it just slowly found its way to my original name again. And now, you know, the the newer people around in my life are calling me Rob or Robert. Huh. And it just kind of stuck. And I said, oh, well, whatever. It is what it is. So um, just kind of ran with that. And because of the state, really, they, they <laughs> turned me back to my original name. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't like it. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else? You know what else is funny? Coming from a guy with no hair here, you have hair, and you always just shaved it down. Now you're running a, a full hairdo. Yeah, I started getting older, and I said, "Well, I can still grow hair now, so I'm going to enjoy the hair while I can before it all falls out." Um, yeah, so just I don't know. I tried to um, do something different. I ended up liking it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I didn't have to be such a tough guy all the time anymore. You know and uh, Big thing, too, is I, I try to explain, and I just said this to someone yesterday. I said, oh, you always had shaved head. I said, it's not that I didn't want hair. I said, you got to think my whole life, all day, every day, I lived in dirt. You know, I trained in dirt. I lived in dirt. I raced in dirt. Even on the weekends, I was in dirt. So when you get roosted long, all that stuff is stuck in your hair. And, you know, I always shaved my head because you could clean almost so much easier. And... You know, we raced at such a high level, so every little advantage you could have, if you have a big, thick head of hair, you'd stay a little bit cooler, and you wouldn't get quite as tired. And, uh, <laughs> like, everything added up, so I just always used to buzz my hair. And uh, you clean up easier, kept you a little cooler, you look meaner, and um, you didn't have to be in that environment anymore, so I started growing hair. Still short, <laughs> but I do have hair. <laughs> All right. Well, it's uh, it's interesting every time I look at you know just checking it out, checking you on your Instagram and stuff. And I'm like, look at that hairdo. What was, what was he anyway? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hey man, I, I want to keep. I'll end you with uh, end it with this last question. I, I know you have to get going, and uh, it's been a nice, really good chatting with you, man. Glad, glad to hear everything's going well. Now, my last thing is: is this the happiest you've ever been in your life right now? Uh, I would say completely yes. Awesome. Um, when you're young, you know, um, you are happy in a different way. And I was so happy racing while that was my life. But I didn't have children and I wasn't married. Um, and, at, you know, half my, you know, some of my career I was married. But you don't know at that age fully. In my older age, I feel like I can say this. You know, you don't know what real true happiness is. You know, um, you're still searching, and every weekend, you just want to be better and better. Um, I still strive to be better every day, but it's not, um, it doesn't have to be life or death, like get better every day now. I progress as a person every day, but now I feel like I know what true happiness is because I have my children, I have my family, I have stability. I don't question if I'm going to have a job next year because I got hurt or right. the team is folding or whatever the case is. So um, I've been able to experience life with my kids and my family now, and that is not anything that you can replace. Um, you know, what you do is what you do. 
um, on your own as you progress through life and you have experiences for yourself. But when you can provide experiences to a child um, or someone else and you can show them the world and show them the way things are and experience, let's say, Disneyland and things like that, that is a whole different level of happy. And I would say that, yes, I am more happy now than I was uh, even in my young age. So, yes, I'm, I'm probably the happiest I've ever been. Well, I think I can speak for everybody who's listening to this, anybody who's listening that uh, I like. Oh, this kind of turned into a where are they now kind of thing, uh, a story here. And I'm really happy to hear that you're doing well. And I'm sure everybody else is happy to hear you're doing well. I always got a kick out of you no matter what, no matter what happened. I mean, obviously, I I saw your entire career up here. And um, man, no matter what happened, good day, bad day, I'd ask you for anything. And you, you're you're reply to me was the same as it was this time when I asked you whatever you need that's what you said you always used to say that you're, you're always so good to be uh, you know no matter how you're feeling you it's, you understood the media side of it that it had the story had to be told and you always made yourself available man I always appreciate that no I appreciate you and uh, you know we're, we're no different everyone's just working trying to make a living and just because you race dirt bike faster than the next guy doesn't mean you're better than him that's always <laughs> what I thought you know because you know, someone asking for your autograph knows how to do plumbing in a house, but I don't, you know, so why, why does that, why do you get to act like, you know, like a dick, really? So uh, that's, that's, that's always my mentality, man. There's someone always better than you at something. So humble yourself and, uh, you know, help anyone do anything. And I mean, you guys were always great to me, so I appreciate it. And we're just trying to make the world go around. And I, I appreciate uh, everyone uh, that helped my career and uh, have the experience that I did. You know, you guys were all part of it and uh, gave me everything that I got to to have in that portion of my life. So I appreciate you guys. Nice, man. Well, I enjoyed our conversation here. I'm glad to hear you're happy and doing well. I'm sure everybody is. And I guess we'll leave it at that because you've got some, uh, you got dad duties to get uh, get to here. I got dad duties. That's right. They're getting off the bus right now as you speak. All right, man. Okay, well, let's let you go. I appreciate your time, and good luck with everything in the future. And, uh, yeah, let's, thank you very much for doing this. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, see you, Bob. I mean, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> see you.